ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but <laughs> hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. <laughs> Two people just winging it in life, and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Hi guys, welcome hey. to History of a Haunting. Hey everybody. I'm Archie. She's Carrie. She's both of us today. <laughs> Archie's here physically, mentally, I think he's at home asleep. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, I'm tired. We uh, had breakfast before we started recording, and we got breakfast burritos from Filiberto's, and they are life. But now we're very tired, <laughs> and we have little life in us. Uh, so... With that said, where are we going today, Carrie? Today we're going to go to Edinburgh, Scotland. Right. And uh, I am excited about this. This is our first uh, location that we're covering in Scotland. Um, fun little story, because I love a sidebar. God. I know. My nephew, Jared, actually um, went to Scotland and Ireland. Uh, his grandmother... Um, and by the way, folks, this is my best friend Jennifer's son and her mother, uh, <laughs> but he's my nephew. So uh, Janice took Jared to Ireland and Scotland for his 18th birthday. Oh. Yeah, they had the best time, and their pictures, everything was so super amazing. And um, it was funny, too, because Jennifer and I were sitting there talking one night when I went to, was visiting her, and it was about a year or so after they went to Scotland, and we're sitting there and we're like, okay, wait a minute, hang on, let me get this straight. Janice took Jared to Ireland and Scotland for his 18th birthday. Uh, my mom took Coy to London. Uh, Janice is also going to take Emma, I think Emma's chosen Paris, when she turns 18. And Jennifer's like, yeah, that's right. I'm like, we couldn't get those broads to take us to the fucking mall. <laughs> but the grandkids... Yeah. Are going on world tours. That's how it works. That's how it works. It's so fucking unfair. And I swear, all three of those kids are going to rue the day when they make Jennifer and I grandmothers. They're going to rue the day. Mm. I can't wait. Um, but I can. They're all still very young. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, that's my fun little um, story about <laughs> about Scotland and the bitter mother that I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the bitter child that we are. Uh, so yeah, we are going to do three different locations in Edinburgh. Uh, we're doing the Edinburgh Castle, mm -hmm. the Subterranean Vaults, mm -hmm. and Mary King's Close. Mary King's Close. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's going to be a little bit of a different format today, right? Because we're doing three different places mm -hmm. within Edinburgh. Right. Um, so you're gonna, he's going to do a history portion of each place. And so he's going to do a history portion of the castle, and then I'm going to talk about the hauntings, and then we're going to talk about the next place, and he'll do history, and I'll do hauntings. So it's a little, a little jumbled format, uh, but who cares? It's our show, and we do what we fucking want. 
Right. Yay. Okay, so go ahead, Arch, take it away. What I found was from historicuk.com and was written by Ben Johnson. And I've I've pared it down quite a bit. I just have one page on each uh, location. (laughs) Okay. Because still, that's three pages. Yeah, yeah, still. Uh, So we're starting with uh, Castle, right? Edinburgh Castle. Yes, my favorite one. The protective castle walls dissolve into the exposed bedrock of Castle Rock as if they were one entity. From the settlement of Edinburgh, there has always been a protective monument watching over the town, so the rock and defense have always gone hand in hand. The settlement built up around the site of Din Aiden, a fortress on the rock and thriving Roman settlement. It wasn't until an invasion by the Angles in AD 638 that the rock became known by its English name, Edinburgh. In, in when? AD 638. Oh, that's a long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. It's, it's, a very, it's a very old, um, well, compared to the United States, we're just a baby. Right. Edinburgh Town grew out from the castle, with the first houses built on the area now called Lawn Market, and then down the slope of the rock, forming a single street, the Royal Mile. It became Scotland's chief royal castle in the Middle Ages, taking the, taking the role as headquarters for the Sheriff of Edinburgh. Military troops were stationed there, along with the royal gun train and the crown jewels of Edinburgh. <laughs> I wonder if you can take pictures of those. I don't know. My mom probably wouldn't even let me try that either. Probably not. God damn it. It was King, King David I who, in 1130, first constructed some of the impressive and formidable buildings we see today. The chapel, dedicated to his mother, Queen Margaret, still stands as the oldest building in Edinburgh. It survived a continual series of damage during the wars of Scottish independence with the English. As previously mentioned, the Royal Mile is so-called of a... So-called as it is the path of royalty traveling up to the castle. This is true, but some, however, were not approaching with am- amiable intentions. The walls have endured siege after siege at the hands of the English, and the leadership of the castle has changed hands almost innumerable times. In, in what? Innumerable. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I thought we were having a Duran moment. Shut up. Nobody is ever going to forget that. No. The first to capture the castle from the Scots was Edward I in 1296. After the king's death in 1307, Sir Thomas Randolph reclaimed it in 1314. Twenty years later, it was recaptured by the English, but only seven years after that, Sir William Douglas, a Scottish nobleman and knight, claimed it back with a surprise attack by his men disguised as merchants. Oh, wow. So like a Trojan horse kind of thing? Sort of. Sort of? Not really, no. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. I regret everything. Forget I said that. (laughs) Twenty years later, it was recaptured by the English, but only seven years after that. Ugh. I did that part already. The Scotsman and Knight claimed it back with a surprise attack by his men as merchants. Okay, you need a... That was nothing like the Trojan horse. (laughs) (laughs) David's Tower was built in 1370 by David II as part of the reconstruction of the castle site after the devastation during the Wars of Independence. It was enormous for a building of the time. Three stories high and functioning as the entrance to the castle, it was therefore the barrier between the attack and defense of any battle. It was the Lang siege that caused the downfall of this tower. The year-long battle was triggered when Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, married James Hepburn, Earl of Bothwell, and a surge of rebellion against the Union rose up against the noblemen of Scotland. Mm -hmm. Sir William Kirkcaldy, governor of the castle, held up against the Lang Siege until David's Tower was destroyed, cutting off the one and only water supply to the castle. Oh, wow. The tower was replaced by the Half Moon Battery that exists today. 
James VI, who also became James I of England in the Union of the Crowns, it was then that the Scottish court departed from Edinburgh for London, which left the castle with only military function. Now that was the the um, the guy who um, became monarch after Queen Elizabeth I died because she died childless. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. The final monarch to reside at the castle was Charles I in 1633 before his coronation as the King of the Scots. But even this did not protect the castle walls from further bombardment in the years to come. The Jacobite rebellions in the 18th century caused much unrest. Holy shit. Jacobitism was the political movement fighting to reinstate Stuart monarchs to their thrones in England, Scotland, and Ireland. In Edinburgh, oh. it was to return James VII of Scotland and II of England. The 1745 rebellion saw the capture of the Holyrood Palace at the opposite end of the Royal Mile to the castle. But the castle remained unbroken. No such action has been seen at Edinburgh Castle since. The castle now serves as a military station and is home to the Scottish National War Memorial. It is home to the Crown Jewels and the Stone of Destiny since its return to Scotland from Westminster in 1996. So that's that's mine. That's yeah, mine. that's a fascinating story, too. It just changed hands so many mm-hmm. times. Back yeah. and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that last part that you were just talking about, that's a really fascinating story. I highly recommend everybody um, look that up. It was... Uh, it's far too long to get into, but it's, I definitely recommend it. Um, it it's, an, it's an amazing history, and it's, a, it's a odd, odd Scotland and, and the UK, it's, it's a mixed bag of, you know, they love each other and hate each other and mm. don't want to be a part of, of Great Britain, and it, it's certainly something that's still going on to this day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to this day. Uh, in fact, they were voting... Uh, when Janice and Jared were there, they were they actually um, held their vote if they wanted to stay with the UK or leave it. Oh, wow, I remember that. Yeah. That wasn't too long ago. Mm-mm. That's when and, and Janice and, and Jared were there for that. Um, yeah, and then everybody in the streets, and it was it was crazy. Wow. So, I mean, it's, been, it's certainly something that's been going on between Scotland and, and England for a long, long time. So, all right, let's talk about the ghosts of this castle. All right. Because there's a couple of them and <laughs> one is pretty gross uh <laughs> so i'm all of my sources for all three locations came from amy's live about edinburgh news.com and international university of iowa.edu oh. yeah interesting okay so apparently the spirits of french prisoners from the seven years war and colonial prisoners from the american revolutionary war are also said to haunt the castle oh jeez. Weird, right? <coughs> yeah, American Revolutionary War. I it was, uh, unless they were prisoners and they were taken to Scotland and they were held. I don't know. I, I, I should have looked into that, um, but I didn't because uh, that's the uh, that's how I roll as a podcaster. <laughs> the easiest fucking way possible. Okay, uh, <laughs> the cells of its ancient dungeons uh, was the site of uncounted deaths. I mean, just. Too many to count. Well, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it could be, you know, an eternal place of unrest for a number of spirits. I'm only going to talk about a handful of them. Um, I did <laughs> I did um, 
come across this that I want to start my portion of the castle part with. To understand the pain, suffering, torment, and death within those dungeons is to understand why there could be residual energy left behind. Former prisoners who perished either from poor living conditions, malnourishment, disease, or torture are said to still linger within Edinburgh Castle's dark depths. Many visitors claim to have sighted them or even heard them down there. I feel like I would be super creeped out in these dungeons in this castle, which you can still tour today. Oh, wow. Which, you know, again, bucket list, going, doing it, all of it. (laughs) That lottery win is coming. Right. And then it's on, (laughs) and it's over for you fuckers. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about the escaped prisoner. He is one of the um, ghosts that is frequently seen, uh, heard, and smelled. Spelled. Mm, yeah, here we go. Okay. So this prisoner apparently was so desperate to escape his suffering and torment in these dungeons that I guess he buried himself within a wheelbarrow filled with animal dung. Okay. Archie's face is like, I'm going to vomit uh, that's, my burrito. That's, that's desperate. Yeah. Um, so he was completely concealed in this wheelbarrow um, in feces. And he expected to be wheeled down the Royal Mile to freedom. But although he did escape from the dungeon that way, the person that was supposed to take the wheelbarrow full of dung down the Royal Mile and do it that way, what they did was they actually dumped it off the edge of the tower. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the guy fell to his death. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I guess there's like a, a rocky, you know, like, I don't know if it's an outcropping or if just down at the bottom and he, they were like, okay, we're going to just, yeah, we're going to dump this right yeah, now. we're going to take it down the mile. Mm-hmm. Fuck this. There's the edge. Toss right? it. And, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the poor guy, um, he fell to his death. So um, it is believed that he remains at the castle as a ghost. Uh, in his disgruntled rage, which you can't blame him, right. but that was kind of a stupid fucking idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he said to attempt to push people from the same area oh, at the castle. That would be terrifying. That's rude. That's super rude. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't their fault. It was yours. You chose to hide in poop in a wheelbarrow. You just happened to get the one guy who was lazy and didn't want to walk all the way down the fucking mile. Anyway, um, however, it is said that luckily, those who come into contact with his spirit are usually made aware he is around as his presence is accompanied by the strong stench of animal dung. You smell him before you see him. Yep. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, yeah, right? Like, holy crap. Uh, uh huh, really? Oh, <laughs> I didn't even. Wow. <laughs> Not on top of my game oh, today. Wow. Okay, so the next, um, the next one I want to talk about is the Piper Boy and this poor kid. Oh. Oh God. Oops. Uh, yeah, the Piper Boy. <sighs> this one's sad. So apparently, they had discovered underground tunnels leading from the castle a few hundred years ago. And at the time, they were like, well, this is curious. What, where do these tunnels go? We need to figure this out. However, uh, the entrance to these tunnels, um, where, in, where it was located, it, it had a very small opening, 
which meant that only a young child could be sent down in them. Oh, no. Because adults couldn't, grown adults couldn't get couldn't in fit. it. So what they did was um, they got this young boy and they forced him to go in there and poke around these fucking tunnels. And um, he was instructed to play his bagpipes as he followed the tunnel so that they, the sound above, they could follow him and see, like, where within the Royal Mile or wherever, where he was going. Um, So I guess the boy made it halfway down the Royal Mile before he suddenly fell silent and the bagpiping ceased. He never came out. They never found him. Wow. Nothing. Just, I don't know if he, he... Nobody knows what happened to this kid. But uh, they did try to rescue him, but he was just never located. Oh, my gosh. I don't know, like, maybe they sent other children in, and I, fuck, who knows? Uh, it's wow. awful, awful story. Okay. Yeah, so nobody really knows what happened to the kid. Um, most ple- people... Fuck. <laughs> most people believe that he did die down there, which I... Oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I guess on quiet evenings, you can actually still hear the muffled sound of the boy's bagpipes playing as he continues to search for a way out of the tunnel. You can hear them under the royal mile. Oh, my gosh. Right? That poor kid. That poor kid. Um, Now, there is uh, another kid, musical child. Uh, This is the drummer boy. And apparently this, <laughs> this young boy generally appears to people as a headless apparition and is always playing his drum. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, apparently to see his spirit is a very bad omen because he will only appear right before the castle comes under attack. Now, since it's been such a long time since the castle's last attack, no one has actually seen this spirit in a very long time. Um, and there's still a lot of mystery surrounding who this kid was. Nobody really knows, uh, like, who he is or why he was at the castle or why he's missing his fucking head. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah, that was... So, I, I guess if he's you know, pops back up, then shit's about to go down. Right. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, those are just the three that I had, um, or the four. Yeah, that I had, um... For Edinburgh Castle, uh, all very popular. Um, I think the escaped prisoner and the little Piper boy are the ones that people see the most. Obviously, um, the prisoners that were down in the dungeon from the Seven Years' War and... Um, all the different battles that took place. All the different battles that took place, uh, the different prisoners that were housed there. I did read one story where there was a woman who was accused of witchcraft that was held down there. Oh, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she was eventually burned at the stake, I believe. Of course. So she's down there as well. Uh, I, I couldn't find a whole lot on her, so I didn't really include her in, in a whole big, mm. in my big portion of it. Mm. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, escape prisoner, the poor little Piper boy, and then this sad little headless drummer kid. Okay. You know, drummers are the best. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so, okay, next let's talk about Mary King's clothes. All right, well. And not clothes, like. It's spelled clothes. Like C-L-O-S-E, yeah. And We're not talking about Mary King's dresses or pantaloons or what have you. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of you out there, like me, who 
every time you told me about Mary King's clothes, I thought, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that clothes? What is that? <laughs> well, closes is the Scottish term for ancient alleyways. Oh, okay. <laughs> and in this case, it forms a labyrinth of fright- frightfully narrow streets, punctuating Edinburgh's High Street and Royal Mile. The close in question is comprised of a cluster of underground passageways named after Mary King, an affluent merchant burgess and widow residing in the buildings from around 1635 onwards. What's a burgess? Um, kind of like... Is it like a title? Kind of, Kind of like yeah. a like lady or... Something like that. Okay, okay. I was just curious. Mary King's clothes housed numerous towering tenement buildings regarded by many as the world's first skyscrapers. These what? Lot, yeah. Really? Yeah, they're like uh, sometimes up to eight stories tall. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow, okay. Mary King's clothes housed numerous tenement buildings regarded by many as world's first skyscrapers. These lodgings served as home to all manner of social classes. Due to the exceedingly unsanitary living conditions common to the era and an influx of Mm. flea-infested rodents, Edinburgh became overrun with bubonic plague. Oh, God. With the worst hitting in 1645. An incalculable number of black rats riddled with fleas carrying the Yersinia pestis bacterium were to blame for the countless brutal human deaths, including those in Mary King's clothes. Symptoms included swollen glands, unsightly bulbous pus-infused boils on the groin area under the arm, and severe bouts of intestine rupturing vomiting. In no time, the residents... You could have given us a fucking heads up for that one, buddy. Sorry about that. In no time, the residents, like the rest of the city, were dropping like flies. Dr. George... Please. Dropping like fleas. Get it? (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Bad joke. (laughs) Bad pun. Bingo square. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. George Ray was Edinburgh's official plague doctor during that period, and he responded to the plague victims of Mary King's clothes, clothed in an alarming, demonic-looking attire, a thick leather coke to prevent free bites, ah, and the ghastly bird-like mask that we're familiar with. Right, right. And those were stuffed with sweet-smelling herbs to conceal the repugnant stench and germs. He saved lives by using a scorching hot poker to cauterize <clears throat> freshly sliced sores. While no doubt a horrible oh technique, my God. it was reportedly effective for some. For some? I, that's, I had to add that part because it was no doubt, it was not a cure. Jesus Christ. Interesting. Interestingly, the city council promised Dr. Ray a sizable monetary sum as compensation for his time and risk under the guise that he would most likely perish for, like, the rest of them. Oh, so they said, we'll give you $500 million, mm-hmm. but we won't have to because he'll probably be dead in a week. Exactly. Gross. And alas, he emerged victorious <laughs> and endured a decade-long altercation with the council until he received his rightful payout in the form of uh, 1,200 pound scots a year. Oh, my... I wonder what that is in today's money. I don't know. This is in 16-something or other? 1645, around then. Let's uh, say it's $500 million. Maybe. Oh, my, and he, he had to fight him for a decade? A decade to fight Fuck. for that. 
There is a persistent myth that in an effort to quarantine the victims, Edinburgh city officials sealed off Mary King's Close in 1644, mm-hmm. leaving some three to 600 inhabitants to perish inside without hope. In reality, the plague victims were well cared for, and the town council managed the outbreak efficiently and compassionately. You know, now that it's With 400 years later. Hot poker to mm-hmm. the pussed groin or whatever. So, so what I read in the Atlas Obscura article was that families healthy enough to be moved were taken to Berg Muir. Those were, were unable to be moved. Let the workers know by putting up white flags in their windows so that food and coal could be delivered to their doorsteps. When in reality, it's most likely that the wealthy people got out were being moved, right? And the poor families left behind, right? Because they probably had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. Yeah. But uh, I read several, a couple of different places that this is a myth that they were walled up and left to die. Okay. I mean, it, it certainly sounds more sensational, kind of like Myrtles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it it can't be disputed that people did die there. That's of very true. The plague, uh, but maybe just not in the way that there are some say. Well, uh, time went on and life in the close continued. Around 1750, Mary King's close joined the other closes in a dilapidated state of decay, intense overcrowding, and overall political upheaval. And so the people proposed a haven and covered place of exchange where merchants and trades could move away from the street and national records could be kept. Portions of the closed were destroyed while others were adapted to serve as the building foundations for the Royal Exchange built in 1753. The other end of Mary King's close was demolished in 1853 so Cockburn Street could be built. Hmm. And that's my... My that's, brief. That's what you got. Cool. That's that's really fascinating. Good job. Yeah. I had no idea what that was. I mean, I knew it was a place where people lived. Obviously, I read about it through my research. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, no, that that was excellent. I thought the part about being the world's first skyscrapers was really really interesting. I know, right? Yeah. Good job. Love it. Okay. So um, the tales of ghost sightings here actually date back to 1685. Um, like you just covered, uh, the street's eeriest era dates back to 1645 plague, which left thousands dead. Um, and then, as the rumor is, left hundreds of plague victims sealed inside Mary King's clothes. I did find a thing here that said, quote, in a desperate measure to reduce contamination over to, no. In a desperate measure to reduce contamination, over 300 plague victims were entombed alive when the close was bricked up until the plague had passed. So it wasn't that they were, okay, you're all sick and dying, we're just going to hold you here. It was more like they quarantined them, but by the time the plague passed, those folks had died. It was the what this particular article that I read, kind of, that was the spin it, it put on it. There is a room inside of Mary King's clothes that is noticeably colder than the rest of the site, which is, as we all know, a possible sign of paranormal Mm -hmm. activity, things like that. Um, This room is filled with stuffed animals and toys left by visitors for this particular little child's abandoned spirit. And I'm going to talk a little bit about her in just a second. Um, Other visitors that report... (sighs) Um, things that they have witnessed or felt or experienced, scratching noises coming from a chimney, and some even claim to have had their hands scratched after placing them inside the chimney. 
why would you do that? <laughs> because people are weird. People are weird. They're really weird. Like, it, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> like now I'm going to sit on my hands. Um, so there is, there is an image of um, this ghostly figure at the top of Mary King's clothes, um, and it was taken with an infrared camera that was installed to take pictures of the tour groups. So it was installed by the company that, that has opened it now <laughs> for tours. Um, and this, this camera, apparently it, it was this photograph was captured just after midnight um, on a Saturday when the attraction's general manager, Stephen Spencer, he, um, he don't, they go around at the end of the night to make sure everything is shut off. And he had only taken a shot to check that the computer system gathering the photos had been switched off for the night. Hmm. Um, <laughs> apparently the spokeswoman for Mary King's clothes said that there's a trigger for the camera on the wall. And we usually press it last thing at night to check that everything has been turned off properly. Like I had just mentioned, um, they, <laughs> they had some events for the ghost fest on this particular night. And when they'd finished, the general manager pressed the button before coming back up to the office. He was the only person down there, and he wasn't in the shot himself. So it was a complete surprise when this image came through of this man standing at the top of Mary King's clothes huh. when they were okay. done for the night. Wow. Yeah. Um, so she goes on to say, if everything had been switched off properly, the photo wouldn't have been taken at all, so it was a complete fluke. Oh, right. Um, it's not been tampered with or altered in any way. It's exactly what was taken at that moment in time. So the picture, she says, it definitely looks like a ghostly person in the distance, and we've had quite a few visitors who have mentioned seeing the same heavy set figure in that location before. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Right? Um, there have been numerous sightings of male figures, a gray lady, and the street's most wealthy resident, Mary King, also have been reported, seen, felt, and heard. Neat, huh? That's great. Yeah. Um, so now, there are two historical figures that are cited as the possible identity of the ghost in that picture I just talked about. The first is Major Thomas Weir, who is also um, known as the Wizard of Westbow, or Westbow, B-O-W, Westbow? Burrow. Sure. Burrow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, this particular guy was strangled and burnt at the stake in 1670 after publicly confessing to witchcraft, Satanism, and incest. Well, that'll ruin your day. <laughs> Just awful. Just awful. Uh, the second contender um, could also be Andrew Chesney, a sawmaker who lived in Mary King's clothes and operated his business until 1892. He's believed to be the last person to live in the famous clothes, and his workshop is actually shown to visitors on the tour. Oh, wow. So it might be him. Let's hope it's him because he has a nicer story. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that girl um, that I mentioned in the beginning of my portion of Mary King's clothes where um, – she has a room that um, is noticeably colder, and people leave toys. And the toys and stuffed animals. Yes. So I guess in the 1990s, there was a Japanese psychic, um, Aiko Gibo. Sorry if I'm butchering the name. A-I-K-O Aiko oh. Gibo. Um, she came to visit the Mary King's clothes um, while making a film about the haunted places of Britain. And um, when she stepped inside a room off of Alan's clothes, the lesser-known Alan. Right. 
He's got a clothes, too, but it's nothing like Mary Kate. Nothing like Mary Kate. Yes. Um, so when she stepped inside a room off of Alan's clothes, she could barely enter the 17th century room because she was getting this flood of pain and unhappiness coming at her in the room. Aww. Yeah, so keep in mind she is a Japanese psychic. Um, she said, I cannot enter this room. It is too strong. There is a child beside me. Her little hand is clutching my trouser leg. I, I just cannot go into this room. She was separated from her parents. She wants to go home and see her family. Her desire haunts this place very strongly. Isn't that horrible? And that's why everybody's leaving her toys and stuffed animals. Right. Aww. So eventually this psychic was able to cross the threshold. When she got inside the room, she communicated with the young girl's spirit near the fireplace. Her name was Annie, and she lost her favorite doll and is heartbroken. So Gibo, Eiko Gibo, the psychic, psychic, there we go, there we go. The psychic went and purchased a doll from a local Royal Mile shop, and she returned to the little girl. Uh, the psychic stated that the doll apparently brought comfort to the child and said, so long as the doll remains, it is said that the room will never be, again, be disturbed by her spirit. Yeah, she went and, and she bought this little, this little girl's spirit, this doll, and the little girl, Annie, loved it. Loved it. It's about to take a sad turn. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, over the years, a lot of people have researched Annie's story. To, you know, they, they haven't found reference to a child named Annie in the history books, but that doesn't mean she didn't exist. Uh, the closest link was the child, um, to the child, maybe, okay, let me start that over. The closest link was the child may be the unnamed daughter of Jean McKenzie, who re- she was recorded of dying during the plague in Alan's clothes, and she had a little girl. Hmm. So maybe. Probably. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So now, ever since the psychic first left the first doll, actually, since she left the first doll, a growing number of people from all over the world have brought Annie dolls, toys, and jewelry, which is why there's all those toys, like you said. Um, it's actually turned into quite an extraordinary phenomenon. Phenomenon. Oh, God. Do it. No. Do it. I already got in trouble for the last time. <laughs> um, even first responders have left their badges there as a mark of respect. From the New York City Police Department to Newport Beach Police and numerous fire departments, they have had donations of toys and stuff like this across the globe. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? That's awesome. So here's the thing. Here's the, here's the bad thing. Here's the, here's the bummer. Here's where the sunshine and happiness gets sucked right out of the room by Carrie, as always. Apparently, in, um, on April 17th, 2019, they received um, a somewhat panicked radio call from their guide, Pedro, informing the owners or the people that run the tours of Mary King's clothes that Annie's doll was no longer in her usual spot in the 17th century house. Um, they initially thought that it might have fallen amid the pile of donated toys. Unfortunately, after searching the entire site, the doll was nowhere to be found. So someone fucking took this doll, the mm. one doll that she loves the most. Oh, jeez. It's awful. So, um, well, I hope she's fucking haunting them now. Right? So um, apparently, following the disappearance of the doll, they did a little digging into the history of the toy and uncovered some interesting facts. Um, once the news spread about the doll, they got a whole load of questions about it. Um, they always knew that it wasn't an official Barbie, but coined the nickname... Um, 
of a tartan Barbie. I don't know. I don't know what that is unless it's one of those like you know knockoff Barbies that they. Oh. I don't. I don't know. Gotcha. Um. So you know, maybe maybe it was just you know this doll was a mere knockoff, um, but. Turns out it wasn't. What they found was they discovered that it was, in fact, part of the Daisy Doll Airline Collection, designed by the iconic Mary Quant fashion designer. She was an influential spearhead in the 1960s London-based movement for the youth fashion scene. And she created this doll, and that's what this doll is. So maybe maybe somebody recognized it as that and took it because it could be a valuable doll. So they have still never, ever, ever found this doll, and they have started a movement that if you should come across the doll, please share a photo of it with hashtag bring back the doll. Wow. I know. Like, I, I'm like, what? <laughs> Granted, it's not a real child. Like, I get it. But still, I think that's just fucking terrible. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so you know that show Most Haunted? Mm-hmm. Oh, you do? Sure. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she's just taking a <laughs> lying to me. Anyway, the presenter of that show, Yvette Fielding, said that Mary King's clothes has to be one of the most terrifying places I have investigated. It is pitch black, has minty, minty, has minty, no, no, has many intertwining tunnels and rooms. Being alone in Mary King's clothes at 4 a.m. in the morning is not something I shall forget. Stones were thrown at us and ghostly footsteps were heard. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, that's... No, thank you. Mm-mm. Definitely want to go. Maybe not at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so that's what I have about Mary King's clothes. Um, that poor little girl, Annie. If you guys know of her doll or have you seen her doll, please send it back to her because... Hello, because, ghost child. Right. Didn't she have enough shit going on? Yeah, so... Yeah, that was Mary King's clothes. And our, last, our third and final one, guys, is uh, the... Subterranean vaults also, I have it listed as the Southbridge vaults. Yep. Yay! I actually really enjoyed reading about this one. Really? Yeah. Okay, well talk to me about the history, because I just focused on the hauntings, as per usual. Well, Edinburgh was a growing community in the late 18th century, and two bridges were built to facilitate the expansion, North Bridge and South Bridge, known locally as the Bridges. Shocking, right? (laughs) It was like... Little on the nose with that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the South Bridge was built to span the Calgate Gorge between High Street and the growing University of Edinburgh on the south side. It was proposed first in 1775, although work did not begin until August of 1785. So they talked about it for 10 years. Edinburgh's South Bridge should be regarded as more than a simple crossing from Old Town to South Side. It was, in fact, Edinburgh's first purpose built shopping street, and as such, much space as possible was utilized. The bridge itself was a 19-arch viaduct, viaduct, Viaduct. although only one arch is visible today. Oh, shit. The Cowgate Arch. The remaining 18 arches... I'm sorry, are you saying Cowgate or Cow? Moo. Moo. Cowgate. Cowgate. Okay, sorry. The remaining 18 arches were enclosed behind tenement buildings... I'm sorry. The moo. I'm sorry. Moo. Moo. Sorry. Cowgate. Cowgate. All right. The remaining 18 arches were enclosed behind tenement buildings built to allow the area to serve as a commercial district. 
The hidden arches of the bridge were then given extra floors to allow their use for industry. In total, there are approximately 120 rooms, or vaults, hmm. beneath the surface of the South Bridge, ranging in size from 2 meters squared to 40 meters squared. South Bridge officially opened for business on March 1st, 1788. The vault rooms were used as storage and workshops for the South Bridge businesses, operated as intended for a relatively short space of time. Hmm. Construction of the bridge had been rushed, and the surface was never sealed against water. The vaults began oh. to flood. Abandonment of the vaults began as early as 1795. Holy shit. With the vaults being gradually abandoned by businesses on the bridge, the empty rooms were adopted and adapted by new users. As the Industrial Revolution took hold of Britain, the rooms... Ah. As the Industrial Revolution took hold of Britain, the Cowgate area had been developed into Edinburgh's slum. Slum dwellers took over the vaults, and they became a renowned red-light district with countless brothels and pubs operating... I have that in my part, too. (laughs) ...operating within the abandoned complex. The vaults also served as additional slum housing for the city's poor. Living conditions were appalling. The rooms were cramped, dark, and damp. There was no sunlight, poorly circulated air, no running water, and no sanitation. Sounds like a magical fucking place. Right? Many rooms housed families of more than 10 people in a room. Crimes, including robbery and murder, soon plagued the vaults. Burke and Hare, the infamous serial killers who Mm -hmm. sold corpses to medical schools, are said to have hunted for victims in the Edinburgh vaults. Yes. It is not known when the vaults complex was closed, with some suggesting as early as 1835 and others as late as 1875. Written records regarding the vaults during their slum use are virtually non-existent. Uh, All that is known is that at some point, tons of rubble were dumped into the vaults, making them inaccessible. Oh, fuck, really? The vaults were rediscovered by a former Scottish rugby internationalist, Nori Rowan, after he found a tunnel leading to them in the 1980s. From this tunnel, he helped Romanian rugby player Christian Radu Canu... I'm sorry, what? The rugby player, Radu Canu, Nori Rowan, mm-hmm. helped a fu- uh, another Romanian rugby player, Christian Radu Canu, escape the Romanian secret police and seek political asylum weeks before the Romanian Revolution of 1989. So, huh? He used it to smuggle. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, the vaults were excavated by Nori and his son Norman in the 1990s. Hundreds of tons of rubble were removed by hand, and several interesting artifacts were discovered, including toys, broken medicine bottle, bottles, clay pipes, buttons, horseshoes, snuff boxes, cracked stoneware and ceramic jars, pots and plates, thousands of oyster shells, which were the part <laughs> of the staple of diet of the Edinburgh working class. Oh, oh, wow, okay. So that's that's what I've got. That was excellent. That was, it was really interesting to read all that. Holy It's got cow. a great, great history. Wow, it really does, yeah. Um, and I did have the Birkin hair um, portion in, in my part. Um, it, like you said, you know, it became a red light district. Um... God. Um, so through that, it, it was essentially a den of, I wrote this down because I love this word and we need to start saying it more, a den of vice and nefarious practices. Nefarious. Nefarious. That and miscreant. 
gotta say, I mean, really, we're not utilizing the English language as well as we could be. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Paranormal experts say that the South Bridge Vault is one of the most haunted places in the UK on account of the sheer number of disturbances recorded there, which include voices and apparitions. Oh. Yeah. Some visitors to the vaults even reported physical contact, usually in the form of scratches or and bruises to the skin. I know. I wonder if they're putting their hands in chimneys or something. And what? You remember Mary King's clothes? If people are putting, oh, their, putting their hands up chimneys. Their hands up chimneys and oh getting scratched, right. Um, so apparently, in 2003, a BBC Radio Scotland producer uh, was speaking to Nori Rowan in the vaults, only to discover that the recording that they had made was unusable due to a mysterious voice speaking in Gaelic. Oh. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, colleagues who played it back claim it sounded like a voice saying, get out or go away. In Gaelic. Wow. Right? I thought that was cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, they do have a tour company called the City of the Dead Tours, and they run nightly tours to this labyrinth. This is so funny. And it's like, this is what they describe them as. The vaults are quote, as black as Satan's jammies. (laughs) Which is just the least threatening, scary thing I can fucking think of. Um, But yeah, black as as black as Satan's jammies. They must be silk. They must be. Um, And they are stalked by a malevolent presence known as the South Bridge Entity, which some call the Watcher. Hmm. Not to be confused with the Witcher, and the gorgeous Henry Cavill. Oh, jeez. Who is a beautiful, beautiful man. <laughs> and to see him standing next to Jason Momoa, that's a good time to be alive right oh there, folks. God. It really is. Um, so apparently in 2015, there was a tourist who was petrified after visiting the vaults when a photograph appeared to show the watcher standing behind her. A story was picked up by the UK National Press with experts unable to explain the phenomena that appeared in the image. And it wasn't Henry, Henry Cavill. Oh, my God. Or Jason Momoa. Jesus. Talk about flooded basements. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'll be right back. God, I love those boys. Okay. Some people claim to have been touched by ghosts or feel extreme drops in temperatures. Others have said they've seen mist or robed figures standing in corners. That would be scary as fuck. Mm-hmm. Robed figures, hooded figures, anything cultish looking, run for your lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are, there have been at least two full-scale paranormal investigations that have taken place in the vaults with some very strange findings. Um, however, today the vaults are closed to the public. However, you can often get inside via a ghost tour. Huh. Interesting, right? Yeah. So, one of the famed ghosts of the South Bridge Vaults is known as Mr. Boots. Sounds, I know, right? And like, he just sounds great. God, they're making this so cute. It's so cute, right? Yeah, he's not cute. This oh. guy, no. He is an evil entity <laughs> who is believed to have murdered a woman and kept the body in his house inside the vaults. Yeah. He attacks people who tour the vaults and allegedly gets angry or even attacks anyone who dares sit in the spot where their body was hidden. Holy shit. The most common reports of his presence, however, are the sounds of thick, heavy boots stepping ever so slowly around visitors. Oh. Uh, That's not threatening at all. Not at all. 
and I really think we need to come up with a new name other than Mr. Boots. Mr. Boots, Mr. Boots. That's something you name your cat. <laughs> it is, right? Um, so this woman described her encounter with Mr. Boots. Um, she said that the presence of this malevolent male ghost was very strong. He told her to get out of the vaults. She had tried to reason with him, but he made a lunge at her, and she saw him very clearly. He said, get out repeatedly, and was very territorial. Why are you trying to reason with a goddamn <laughs> ghost? I mean, just at that point, you're, you're invading their space. Come on, just go. It's a, it's a fucking ghost. I, am, I have so many questions about this fucking person. Tried to reason with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So there are a few other um, really popular uh, entities at the Southbridge vaults. The next two I'm going to talk about are the aristocrat and the cobbler. So the aristocrat is apparently a well-to-do gentleman with a black hat and a beard who is often seen leaning against the wall between the double height room and the tavern. With his arms folded, he watches and grins at people as they pass. Though not really a mean, outwardly mean spirit, he is reportedly quite sinister. Which is another word we need to add to our repertoire. Oh, hey, look at me. Oh, my God. I know. Now, on the other hand, there's the cobbler, and he's believed to be a shoemaker from the late 18th century. He's described as a short, stocky man wearing a long leather apron and a white shirt. He's known to smile at people as they pass and is generally felt as a positive presence, but I'm sorry, that outfit that he's wearing just screams Eli Roth's hostile to me. <laughs> leather apron? No, run as far away from anyone any wearing a leather apron for any fucking reason. <laughs> but thank you, nice cobbler man. Um, now the last one is the child. And he is described as having blonde curly hair and is dressed in a smart blue suit with knickerbocker trousers, which I think is so fucking adorable I can't even stand it. (laughs) Um, He is attracted to women and children and... (laughs) Good God, Carrie. (laughs) And has been known to not only hold hands with visitors, but also tug on their clothes. Hmm. I know. So that's what I have about the ghosts of the Southbridge vaults. However, I do want to talk about them all collectively for just a quick little bit. There was, on April 6th through the 17th in 2001, these three spots that we just talked about, Edinburgh Castle, Mary King's Close, and the Southbridge vaults, they were all subject of one of the largest scientific investigations of the paranormal ever conducted. Oh, wow. And the results surprised many of the investigators. Interesting. Yes. So, as part of the Edinburgh International Science Festival, Dr. Richard Wiseman, a psychologist from Hertfordshire University in Southeast England, enlisted the help of 240 volunteers to explore the allegedly haunted sites in a 10-day study. Oh, wow. So he chose visitors from all around the world, um, and they were led... In groups of 10 through the creepy, the creepy damp cellars, the dungeons of the castle, uh, the chambers of the clothes, and the vaults. Now, um, each of the volunteers was carefully screened. Only those who knew nothing about Edinburgh's legendary hauntings were allowed to participate. Hmm. Yet by the end of the experiment, nearly half reported phenomena that they could not explain. So his team came prepared with an array of high-tech ghost-busting... <laughs> equipment, 
such as thermal imagers, geomagnetic sensors, temperature probes, <laughs> probe, night vision <laughs> equipment, and digital cameras. I'm fucking eternally 12, okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so night vision equipment, digital, digital cameras. Um, the volunteers were not told which particular cells or vaults or areas had previous claims of activity. Uh, they were taken to locations with a reputation for being haunted as well as red herring vaults that had no history of activity, activity at all. The highest number of paranormal experiences by the volunteers were reported to take place in the very areas that did have haunted reputations. Mm. Right? Um, some of the reported experiences included sudden drops in temperature, seeing shadowy figures, a feeling of being watched... One person reported a burning sensation on their arm. An unseen presence touched people's faces and um, the feeling of somebody tugging on their clothes. One reported sighting of a specter was of a specter in a leather apron, a ghost that has been seen before at the same location, probably the cobbler. Mm-hmm. Wow. So now the guy that conducted this, Wiseman, he was a skeptic who has in the past attempted to expose the myths of several British hauntings admitted his surprise at the results. He said, quote, the events that have been taking place over the last 10 days are much more extreme than we expected. Wow. Yeah. One of the most interesting overnight experiments involved enclosing a young woman in one of the dark South Bridge vaults alone, an experience that brought her to tears. The volunteer was placed in the room with a video camera so she could record what she saw, heard, or felt. Almost immediately... She reported hearing breathing coming from the corner of the room, the opposite corner of the room, mm-hmm. which was getting louder. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. She thought she saw a flash or some sort of light in the corner, but didn't want to turn around and, and look again. <laughs> yeah. So the only hard evidence were a few digital photographs that featured um, anomalies that, of um, dense spots of light and strange fogging, like mists almost. Mm -hmm. Um, And two photos, this is fucking hella weird. Two photos showed a green glob that no one could explain. Hmm. Right? Like now I'm picturing like uh, the little green fat blobby ghosted Ghostbusters. What was his name? Slimer. Slimer, yeah. I was going to call him Spinner. What? Okay. I don't know. (laughs) You're like, whatever, weirdo. All right. Stupid. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I got. Um, on all of these locations, they, Archie, your history was so rich and in detail. It was absolutely wonderful on all three locations. And these hauntings are, um, well, yeah, fuck, I love them. This is why I do this. This is why I do this. Um, so yeah, very fascinating. Here this whole time, I thought it was just Edinburgh Castle that was haunted, and mm-hmm. then we got into the research, and I was like, uh, actually, <laughs> there's more. Right. Um, so yeah, guys, Edinburgh, Scotland. If you've been to any of these places, uh, hit us up. Let us know. Tweet us. Instagram us. Facebook us. Email us. Check out our website. Check out our website, hoahpodcast.com. and um, that's it for that's me. Great. You got anything? No. Nothing? That was really good. I liked your follow-up to all three. That was great. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I believe that is everything. And what what are we doing next week? I don't remember. 
Uh, oh, Lep Castle is the next one we're doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Lep Castle, guys, we are going to go to Ireland for Lep Castle. This one is actually going to be the third time we have tried to record this episode. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, when we recorded it the first two times, each time the recording got fucked up. And I actually, it wasn't by me. I didn't, I didn't do it. Uh, it, it was a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to try for Lep Castle again. And um, hopefully... You know, God willing, those those spirits there will let us because I truly believe they had something to do with it. It was just twice in a row. Come on. Yeah. And by the time we had done it, like I had gotten this fucking editing shit figured out and it wasn't me fucking it up. <laughs> it's just really it's just really weird. So God willing, um the spirits will let us go ahead and record this episode and tell this amazing story about this really old, amazing castle. Um, so yeah, that's it for us guys. We are going to sign off as always. Please take a listen to our sponsor, Love Heals Rescue. You can find them on Facebook and remember, sometimes people suck. Words are hard. (laughs) Stay safe out there because you never know who or what is listening. Bye guys. Bye. Love Heals Rescue is a nonprofit organization that believes every dog in need deserves a second chance at a new life. Love Heals wants to partner with the community to help as many dogs as possible find loving homes, while also helping dogs in need in the area, such as providing a last litter program where the mother dog is fixed and returned or adopted, and all of the puppies are fixed, examined by a vet, microchipped, and adopted out to help with the overpopulation of dogs in the area. Love Heals Rescue cannot continue to help the community without a dedicated foster network. Please consider becoming a foster. You can find them on Facebook by searching Love Heals Rescue. Help Help us us be a part part of the solution. solution.